You know how when you arrived as a two-year-old rehome, you'd not had much dog training. So we've been on a long journey with this over the last 11 years. And you know how it builds communication, focus and trust. Well, that's one of the reasons we're jumping on Zoom now, heading over to Sweden to talk to Caroline Alupo, who is an ethologist and behavior expert. I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Caroline Alupo, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on A Dog's Life. Thank you very much. It's a real big pleasure to be here. Well, we got in touch. You know, one of the main connectors of being in touch with you guys is that you're Swedish. And everyone who listens to my podcast gets quite bored, I think, of me referencing Scandinavia quite a lot because I'm actually half Swedish. But I think that's a fair enough reason to talk about Scandinavia quite a lot on my podcast because so much good, I think, comes out of Scandinavia in comparison to, you know, the UK, for example, at the moment, which for lots of reasons, I feel the path of responsible modern dog ownership has gone a little bit astray, I think. But you've studied ethology, haven't you? Yeah, that's true. So explain how your study in ethology relates to dog behaviour, which you've been specialising in for over 18 years. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the the science of ethology really gives us so much information about dogs, their communication, their psychology, emotional life and their needs, of course. Uh, and for dogs, it's it's about being social pack animals and drives as guards and hunters, for instance. So so I think scientific knowledge like that is relevant on an everyday life with a, with a dog, of course. Well, absolutely, just as it is, um, as you say, with humans. But you're particularly interested, I suppose, from your experience, you, you would have seen hundreds of dogs. And so you published a study that focused on the post-traumatic stress disorders that you've noted in many dogs. Explain a bit more. Yeah, as um, as you said there, I did my master's thesis on PTSD in dogs. And it was a a really interesting study where we wanted to investigate so many different things. We wanted to see if we could diagnose PTSD in dogs using like the human scale for for the diagnosis of PTSD, but altering it for dogs. So could we actually diagnose this, this anxiety disorder in dogs? And if so, how? You know, what's the parameters for a dog to have PTSD? And we also wanted to look at like the common symptoms, the reasons why dog developed PTSD as well as treatment plans what worked what worsened the situation so that was my thesis and this this is also what what I've been working mostly on with with dogs aggression fear stress related behaviors and as well dogs with PTSD yeah so you know explain what what some of your results were basically you know using a couple of examples to show how reactivity for example was exacerbated like made really worse because of a an episodic memory because i do believe ptsd is related to episodic memory might you agree on that because there was a danish study quite recently highlighting that dogs actually have episodic memory once thought only capable of the human kind yeah, this is really interesting. I mean, when I took my idea to to the uh, 
uh, university, they were so open-minded. I was like, I want to take the human scale of diagnosing PTSD and make it into a dog kind of tool. Uh, and they were all for it. And when doing so, we had to look at like, how do we diagnose PTSD and how could we apply that to dogs? And one thing that we had to leave out was, of course, the dogs explaining their feelings to us in words or their flashbacks or their nightmares, for instance, which is common in humans. Um, the results of my study showed that they had these nightmares, some of them, and, and absolutely they we could say that their behavior showed that they have this episodic memory and, and might have flashbacks, but it's mostly the behavior we had to look at, you know, how these dogs reacted to primary and secondary triggers that were connected and associated to the actual traumatic incident. Uh, and the interesting thing was all these dogs came in, you know, when we asked people to participate, there were so many dogs that had PTSD-like symptoms and they had, had been through something traumatic. But the incident itself isn't enough to say, yes, this dog has PTSD. We really had to look at the incident as well as the dog's development after the incident, you know how they reacted in, in form of increased vigilance, reactivity, fear, overall stress behavior, passive or active you know, coping mechanisms, uh, as well as like depression, almost the loss of interest in previously enjoyed activities. Uh, some dogs we saw dissociated, they kind of locked down completely when they were triggered and, and, and probably had a memory, emotional memory of, of the original trauma incident. Um, and we looked a lot at the avoidance of triggers, how, and, and that could be, like I said, both passively trying to flee, but also actively actually trying to, to fight the trigger, if you want to, want to say, say it so. Uh, and then we also looked at like physical symptoms, like gastrointestinal dilemmas, like constipation and diarrhea, like an upset stomach due to, to long-term stress, uh, and sleep disturbance. There were quite a few participants that said that the uh, post the traumatic uh, event, the dog actually developed a sleep disturbance, and some even thought that their dogs had developed nightmare issues. Gosh, that's so interesting. How long did this study take? Uh, it, it was a survey. So we sent out a survey, and then I kind of analysed all of that as well as uh, my work experience. I'd been working with these dogs for over 10 years when I did the study already. Uh, so it took quite a long time to to gather all this information and analyze it yeah I mean obviously you know I can I can believe that did you at all in the in the process take bloods from the dogs you know to evaluate their cortisol levels you know at certain points during the the study this was a pilot study so we didn't do that but I do want to see the study you're talking about uh actually uh that would be really really interesting as well it's also to to take samples before and after the treatment plans to see how, how cortisol levels have been affected and also what what parts of the treatment plan actually affect cortisol levels. That would be so interesting. Yeah, really, because, you know, we know so much more now, don't we, about cortisol and, and the effects on the body. And, mm. and it's extraordinary, particularly with dogs, you know, we can learn so much 
from how dogs, you know, absorb cortisol and, and respond to it for, you know, studies on humans. You know, I don't want to say dogs are experiments, but they are mm. like sentinels for us. Not least with cortisol, it takes 72 hours, apparently, on average, after a stressed experience or, you know, a busy day that went weird with your dog. You might have got stuck in traffic, you know, coming back from an event that could stress you out as a human that then transfers the stress of being in a traffic jam, you know, yeah. to your dog. And something like that can take 72 hours to balance in a dog system, you know, it's and probably it's the same with us. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when working with these dogs and, and also in my study, I mean, when they're triggered on a daily basis, and some of them many times a day, they never get the, the possibility to rest and recuperate from this. So it's a constant stressor on the body, which is so detrimental, both out of a physical perspective, but also, of course, an emotional perspective as well. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Gosh, Caroline, so how have you put this study into practice, you know, in your ongoing behaviour therapy? Mm. I think the best way to actually fight PTSD in dogs is awareness and, and, and to spread the knowledge. And my study, uh, we, we saw that a lot of the cases, we had one common denominator, and that was humans. Uh, in, when we looked at what caused PTSD in dogs, what were, were these incidents all about? And it was mostly about harsh handling, punishment, as well as, um, you know, events where they had experienced sounds like fireworks, for instance, or they'd been left at the vet with no prior training to being separated or alone. That was car accident and dogs attacks. But but 44% of all of these uh, dogs actually had experienced abuse or punishment from, from humans. Their owners, a neighbor, or even so-called dog professionals, uh, they're not very professional using these methods, of course, but, you know, dog trainers, uh, for instance, groomers, vets. Um, and to, to raise that awareness and spread the word to dog owners that this is a huge risk for dogs and it can cause, like, a lifelong nightmare for these dogs always expecting the worst every day when they just uh, wake up uh so raising awareness has been been a big big thing for me trying to get people to understand that ptsd is relevant for dogs and it can easily happen to to any dog subjected to this and I think also understanding your dog that may have certain issues like noise sensitivity. Mm. Dogs are born with noise sensitivity and other aspects, even touch sensitivity. Uh, mm. My own dog, for example, Prudence, hated being touched as a puppy. She just didn't like it. She would mm. wriggle away. She'd not had, as far as I know, any bad experience, but was just touch sensitive. So we actually had to desensitize with a lot of massage, red light mm. therapy to engage her and like it and relax and think oh a pleasant experience mm. happens through touch and noise sensitivity would you believe it her trigger is clapping so oh. um yeah so random nothing else fireworks no mm. reaction anyway but clapping and um ping pong tables right. absolutely so random so she went into a complete complete spasm once like absolutely and I couldn't understand what, what was causing it I was in a shopping center <laughs> mm. when Prudence just went whoa 
And mm. I thought, what is it? And then I realized the ping pong makes the same energetic frequency, vibrancy, vibrations as clapping because yeah. it's ping pong, ping pong. And it's that live energy of two mm. things coming together, creating energy. She doesn't like it. So and it's quite a hard one to desensitize against. You know, you've mm. got to buy a ping pong table, basically, and uh, and play a lot of <laughs> ping pong um but no yeah so it's better but it's still there you know yeah. we have to be very aware when we're at a live event and, mm. and and the clapping's about to begin we have to exit the room mm. <laughs> that's also an example of how you know humans and and dogs sometimes get themselves into situations that escalate to be out of control you know at the moment in the UK for example we've just banned actually the XL bully which is big news big mm. news to have added another dog to the dangerous dogs act and mm. you know a lot of these incidents that have caused this ban in my view and I've talked about it a lot could have been totally avoided <laughs> mm. and not happened you know so there there is this dichotomy, isn't there? So you're saying you're raising awareness about training methods and experiences in your dog. And I think it's this is such a groundbreaking piece of research, but you know, and it's backed up the whole time in society making choices like to ban this breed of dog. I mean, how do you feel about that? And are dogs banned in Sweden? Mm, interesting question. I don't like the thought of demonizing dog breeds at all. I think it's a dangerous road to go go down. Um, I'm just look at the black market or mixed breeds of these breeds instead. Uh, that could take over. Uh, and if these dogs aren't tracked or can't be insured, for instance, they might not get the medical help they need and the situation can quickly become really, really, really bad. Uh, in Sweden, we do not ban dog breeds at all. Uh, we have really strict welfare uh, laws uh, in Sweden as well as some other countries, but we're, we're quite, you know, in the front line there. Uh, and, and it's not about breeds for us. It's about the individual dog. Uh, so I also work as an expert witness for the police in trials where, where dogs have been abused. And and we always look at the individual. It's never about, about the breed. And uh, it's we have regulations regarding breeding on dogs that show unprovoked aggression or or excessive fear, for instance. But it's always about that dog individual, never the breed. Yes, no, it's so true. Um, and that's something as well. I think people need to understand that just because you grew up with a family Labrador 30 years ago, when you bring a Labrador puppy into your life, that dog will be very different. And every yeah. single dog that you'll own through your lives will be completely different, even if they're all the same breed of dog. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's like a trend. There's always been a trend. Uh, you know, first it was the German Shepherds and then it was the Doberman and then it was the Rottweiler and the American Staffordshire Bull. And it will just keep going on. So the so banning breeds is not a long term solution at all. It's it's about spreading knowledge to dog owners and making them be be you know aware of what they need to do to make the society safe for other people if if we have a dog uh, and it's also about really uh, finding the unfit dog owners and and making sure that they don't have dogs <laughs> rather than banning the dogs well that's going to be the problem caroline that's uh, yeah. <laughs> been the problem with the pit bull that was banned here in 1991 mm. and it hasn't really helped the safety of the public in fact mm. you know it clearly hasn't There's dog mm. bite incidents have gone up but of course you know it's all related i think to the pandemic and a lack of socialization of these puppies and of course people buying dogs 
thoughts on the internet. And I'd love to know, you know, in Sweden, is it normal in inverted commas for people to shop for puppies on the internet? It's it's on the rise, unfortunately, uh, and I think it took a big peak with the, with the COVID. Uh, absolutely, the norm is to buy from a registered breeder, of course, but there is a trend of of puppies being bought from from unserious breeders, uh, and as well, there's like. Um, a lot of rescues coming in from abroad in Sweden at the moment. And of course, I mean, their background is blank. We we don't know, you know, what they're like, you know, if we talk about mental characteristics or... When you say dogs are coming in from abroad, do you mean like Ro- Romanian rescues and dogs from Greece and, and so on? Exactly, like, like Romanian, Greek dogs, Spanish dogs, but we also get quite a lot of Russian dogs as well. And Sometimes they're they're more or less fit to become a pet, and and like um, and they have you know there's no no knowledge of their mental status or or their background regarding trauma or their physical you know wellness at all. So it's a big risk as a as a dog owner, and and there's there's these great you know success stories of course, and and many dogs get a better life, but but it's starting to increase, and I meet a lot of the dogs that aren't success stories, of course. Yes, this is it. Another question. Everybody at the moment wants um, the UK to bring in the dog license, which we used to have many, many years ago. Does Sweden have a dog license scheme? It's not not, uh, by law. We don't have to take the, the test. But the Swedish Kennel Club do have one and, and uh, you know, encourage people to take it. Um, so I guess I guess that's one one way of working with it you know having it as as something that's not a must but appreciated I'd love to see a dog license introduced that mirrors you know the car system here which we call the DVLA and attach every microchip to an owner as you would a car registration Mm. number plate to the owner and so on and have a point scheme that might eventually mean you're banned from driving and you're banned from owning a dog you know the similar um, analogy as I think it's got to the point in the UK certainly where we need that there does seem to be such an increase sadly Mm. in buying online and that doesn't help to begin with and then a lack of understanding of dog behavior and the commitment it sounds ridiculous to even have to say it but the commitment that Mm. a dog is you know you don't just think oh I think we'll get a dog next week you know it's a massive commitment and I wish people would understand that Caroline I mean what do you think I mean we see a lot more dog walkers now than ever before with people with dog walkers walking other people's dogs. I think it's up to 54% of dog owners in the UK use a dog walker very regularly. That was, mm. the, you know, I don't know how that compares to Sweden. Uh, we have trouble now in Sweden because of, I think, because of the peak of dogs during COVID. There was, uh, I mean, the dog dog daycares here are swamped and there's long waiting lists. And I think people, some people haven't really thought through, you know, the needs of dogs and, and that it's not just to leave it at, at a doggy daycare. It takes a lot of socialization and, and training the dog to be home alone before you just leave it at a daycare, of course. Um, but the situation is tricky here as well. Uh, and, and these doggy walkers are increasing quite a lot. And I think 
for some dogs that might work but but not for for all some dogs become very very stressed uh, being in like a big pack at a doggy daycare or being walked by doggy walkers that have like four to six dogs uh, with them on each walk it's a very stressful experience for some dogs um i would love to see like you know, teenagers coming home from school or older people being teamed up with these dogs that, that are home alone or that need that, you know, attention and, and care and company more than exercise. I mean, as a dog owner, you could stand for the exercise uh, and somebody else could come to your house or, or, or pick your dog up to help you. Uh, so I'd love to see that uh, in the future. Yes, yeah, exactly. Dogs really being a vehicle to help people with their own emotional needs, maybe, you know, because we all know that, you know, when you get it right with a dog, with man's best friend, the joys and the benefits and, you know, emotionally, physically, psychologically on us humans is so great. It's just something I like to see put back into into dogs, really, yeah. you know. No, it's interesting. Something else, though, can we touch on this? Just comparison of Scandinavia versus the UK. I think there's a lot more in common than I thought actually at the beginning but something that I talk a lot about on the podcast is the fact that in Norway it's illegal to spay or neuter which is quite a recent thing and based on very very recent science and I've been told that in Sweden most people don't spay or neuter it's not illegal but you don't have to do it bang on six months you're not you haven't got the the text messages coming in from your vet going you need to bring your puppy in right now you know and it is like that in the UK so what's it like in Sweden? Mm. No we are ahead of us here <laughs> but there is a big change going on neutering is not recommended as a standard procedure anymore uh, and I think a lot of vets that you know know their topic and, and they have an interest in, in dog behavior and not just the physical part they also no longer recommend neutering as a, as a solution to problematic behaviors they know now uh, that it can worsen the situation a dog that's got fear-based aggression if you neuter it can become even more fearful and therefore even more aggressive so a lot of, of vets aren't really just going to neutering as as a solution anymore and and I quite often get clients who call me and say I wanted to neuter my dog and they recommended me to call you first just to get a proper assessment which is really really nice to hear so things are are happening uh, and I also see that we're neutering uh, the dogs that are being neutered are being neutered later on in life and not like you mentioned the six month rule which is super early I mean they're just babies they haven't developed at all Exactly, exactly. And in, in America, apparently, it's even earlier than six months. Okay, okay. Yeah. And it's really prolific. And it's all kind of a regional kind of perception. You know, yes, we want to keep the dog population down. Isn't that what, you know, fine in Thailand with street dogs? That's yeah. that's a humane thing to do. So more puppies aren't born to suffer and be run over and starved to death, for example. But, um, you know, in the first world, it's the first world problem now. And I think yeah. the problem is more puppy farming really the, the dog population has just got bigger and bigger and bigger despite mm. this obsession with neutering now it's got a while to filter down in into the UK I can't believe that vets suggest to, to speak to you prior to neutering mm. that wouldn't happen that wouldn't happen here isn't okay. it okay yeah, yeah, no, not that's yet. That's more and more common. And I think it's it's really great change that's that's coming along here in Sweden regarding neutering. Um yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, you know, and, and it, it is true that, you know, the sexual reproduction organs do so much more than just mm. reproduce. And of course, an accumulation. I did a great podcast with Lise Hansen, who's Danish um, on this. Mm. I mean, she's really championing it, spreading the word on it. So it's all to do with this hormone, the LH hormone, that if you're neutered, basically it accumulates in your body unnecessarily because the brain still produces it. So your body isn't functioning as a proper body. Mm. And unfortunately, an overaccumulation of this hormone does trigger cancer. So mm. it's a very interesting, I always think it's it, it's so important to move with the times. Similarly, Absolutely. apparently, apparently in Denmark, when you go to get a flea treatment, the vet has to prescribe it and you have to go to like a chemist place to get the flea treatment, but they'll only give you a flea treatment if your dog has got fleas. Mm. I don't know if that's the same in Sweden. Yeah, I mean, we're not big on just like prescribing drugs. Uh, and, and it's the same, we have to go and get the drugs and there has to be tested first. And and due to, to antibiotic resistant, we're quite restricted in that as well as uh, deworming, which before it was like you deworm your dog once a year, that's it. And now we actually have to take it or we're encouraged to take a test to make sure that the dog actually has worms before we deworm uh, due to the resistance. So so we're not big on, on just prescribing drugs over the counter like that but we see a rise I see a rise in vets prescribing painkillers post-operation and for dogs that really are in pain and need it uh, which is a good thing I think um so so there is there is trends <laughs> I guess yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I know, I know, because you've got a, an amazing website called Petly. Well, it's more than a website. It's I'm so excited about this because it's an app that I feel so many people can benefit from. Because I think one of the main problems with dogs and people at the moment is a lack of time. Our lives, I think you're right, since COVID have changed, I think, quite a lot. And whether we're all trying to make up for time that maybe we lost in COVID, we we have to be busy the whole time. There's some sort of strange addiction going on to being completely frenetic. And if you're not on your phone, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or maybe you've got three phones and your laptop and your television, and you're doing <laughs> them all at the same time and maybe trying to train your dog in between all of that but we're going to talk about this in much more detail in another episode soon but wanted to touch on it because as well as training which obviously features a lot in the Petley app um, you also look at physical therapies which again you see at so me and how the gait and the confirmation of your dog can really affect its behavior so it's kind of a bit going back to the PTSD conversation earlier. Uh, Impetly, we we do have a holistic approach to to dogs. It's not just training. It's about diet. It's about exercise. It's about staying sharp and staying staying fit. Uh, and we want to make the complex simple. So we want to break down advanced ethology and dog training into like these fun snackable bites in a in a really easy to grasp format kind of thing. So there's proactive training, of course, and then there's problem solving. Uh, and we really love micro training. I think some dog owners think that training is like it's really hard. You've got to go out there and, and really spend an hour on it. But but we promote micro training throughout the day. 
Uh, and we have this lifelong journey set up with these courses. So the, the content is actually adapted to if you have a puppy, an adolescent dog or an adult dog or, or a senior dog. We mustn't forget those senior dogs. No, that's so true, Caroline, because so many people, you know, will say to me, oh, it's too late. You can't train an old dog. And, and that is so not true. Mm. In fact, I think working with a senior dog is so rewarding. It just can take a little bit longer. And I, uh, yeah, and we'll talk more all about micro training because but again to do micro training you see you had to be with your dog you know mm. I mean, I'm lucky because I work from home and I've got my animals here so I'm really able to do micro training but all the time I'm, I'm actually training an old feral cat at the moment actually I'm quite proud of myself except he had a tantrum with me this morning but I and which actually makes me think see post-traumatic stress disorder mm -hmm. obviously it will affect cats too yeah you know I know nothing about this cat he landed on my doorstep six weeks ago mm -hmm. and anyway it's another strand for a conversation later but he's loving doing some little learning I've trained mm. him to give a paw but the problem is if people are away from their dogs most of the time you know mm. they're not going to have the opportunity to do little micro training and that's where I think it's a shame if you can yeah. work from home take your dog with you to the office yeah that's going to enable training because training is just about that one sit just a sudden mm. sit and the mm. dog just does it in a different environment from a sit 50 minutes ago and that's where you get that proofing of a, a cue you know isn't it Caroline when you've trained a cue in at least 11 different locations <laughs> yeah so the dog actually generalizes it to different environments and different situations absolutely but I think I mean with a lack of time spent with your dog, the risk is also that the attachment uh, is decreased and the bonding is affected. Uh, and the dog attaches and bonds to a lot of different people, like the doggy daycare or the doggy walkers or whatever, and you lose touch with your dog on, a, on, a, on an emotional level. Um, and that can risk that you don't really... You don't really spot if there's something wrong, if the dog isn't feeling all right or, or not responding as it usually does to trading or not eating as it should or, or you know, small subtle signals that's, that could really be so important to spot, to act on. Um, it's all about being proactive, right? So the dog doesn't get mm. sick or doesn't develop problematic behaviours. And, and there's a risk of missing that if you don't spend all that time with your dog. That's not just walking and not just training. It's that actual just being together, resting together or enjoying each other's company, having fun, you know, having a laugh. <laughs> that part is so important for dogs as social pack animals. Um, I see a lot of, of uh, dog owners in Sweden. They're so ambitious and they walk and walk for hours and hours with their dog. And I come in and I'm like, wait, you've got to start walking this much. We've got to do these things instead, you know. And that's the holistic approach, really getting all the parts that makes a dog a happy dog. Uh, and that's beyond exercise and, and training, even if those are big parts, of course. It's, but it's beyond that. It's about a relationship and a, a depth in that relationship. Yeah. And to achieve that, it's doing lots of experiences, going to new places, just joining you for a meeting and having a cup of coffee, you know, in a different cafe, yeah. which, of course, for a dog is like a big, it's great morning mm. out you know with lots of memories lots of new smells and working yeah. through your cues getting praised and it's so important to yeah. factor all that in you know I'm traveling on different public transport methods and it's lovely actually yeah. sharing those moments with your dog as well or I think so you know and observing how your dog reacts all along to 
I don't know, you know, a screaming baby in the back of the bus or or whatever it might be. And that's how you learn about your dog and vice versa, isn't it? Yeah, and vice versa. I love that because I'm all about that. It's like all these situations. I can climb a mountaintop with my dog and we have an experience, you know, or I can take him into town. And in all the situations that, that we come across, he also learns what I'm about. If I'm to trust, if I will handle situations he can't, if I am reliable and if I'll be his guard if he needs somebody to, to you know, fend off a dog or a child that wants to pet him if he's not up for it, you know. And, and that's also important to, to put yourself and your dog in situations where the dog gets to experience who you are for them. Um, and I think that really strengthens a relationship between, between a dog and, and, and a human. Yes, and play. It can be all sorts of fun things indoors, you know, and tapping into what dogs like to do, like use their noses and mm. find things and then bring them to you. And and so you you become like a dog. You're playing dog games like a dog. I do anyway, you know. Well, you know, yeah. and then it's lots of fun. But putting those little five minutes even aside in the day, something I really, I, I really do do actually, as mm. I think it's only fair. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. to be honest I get a bit bored of sitting at the laptop which is you know a very human thing at the moment I think also that's not great for humans (laughs) long term all the time so this is where dogs and humans are um, kind of moving into a new way of living you know dogs used to come out with us hunting and get our dinner perfect they used to guard our sheep great and they had a purpose and now maybe their purpose is more to be like an antidote from technology and a reminder of of what it's like to be in the moment with a living friend Mm. yeah absolutely and I mean don't get me started on play it's a favorite topic of mine and (laughs) and, you know uh, taking us back to PTSD and uh, you know treatment plans the the study showed that of course any kind of harsh methodology and uh, was was detrimental for these dogs uh, as it only fed the trauma Um, but positive reinforcement of course and counter conditionings and behavioral adjustment training was was key for these dogs and had really good good uh, results as well as a holistic approach where we have to look at the diet and and also what I start with these dogs is adjusting the diets making sure they got all the you know forerunners needed to to actually work and function and, and to get the rest they need and also to get to rest with their human in in unison so they actually feel safe and then play. I mean, to really work those feelings that that are lessened when when you're in an anxiety disorder, when you're stressed and scared or angry a lot of the time, a dog needs to experience lust and play and, and get curious about things. So I use play a lot, and it's great also for bonding and attachment. Uh, and some of these dogs, we see the same if we look at studies in kids with PTSD, they stop playing, they stop, their imagination is affected. So, and it's the same with dogs, they can, can you know, lose their playfulness. So just just triggering that and awakening the playfulness is a great tool just to get the, not to just start focusing on the trigger training if it's the the being frightened of a dog or or wanting to bite a person but you're starting easy balancing the emotional system where play is a great resource really and then of course once you've done that you'll find that reactivity to another dog say when you're walking on you know on a lead it's not going to happen and it, you're going to find actually you have isn't it right that you're going to have the skill sets 
to distract your dog and actually think, oh, actually, I'm not really worried about that dog over there because I'm having far too much fun with my owner. And so we're going to walk right past because I know there's more exciting things around the corner to happen, you know, with my owner because they're fun. And I trust them now because we have fun. For some dogs, I think that might be it. For a lot of dogs that have experienced really bad trauma from from with the interactions with other dogs or humans, their fright state that they're set in can be like for them a, a matter of a life and death. And in that moment, they might not be able to even take a treat or or to play. So I kind of look at it as a triangle where the top of the triangle is the dog's reaction when it's triggered. So that's the lunging on the leash or, or trying to bite or growling or barking. And in the middle of this triangle, we have the dog's feelings and, and those we want to change. So the behavior in turn will change. Uh, so the feelings when the dogs are triggered and at the base of the triangle, we have the dogs uh, like overall needs. If they're met, if, have we got a physical aspect of it all? You know, the dog being if the dog is crouched up in a in a scared position a lot, you might have physical issues that need addressing with massage, for instance, or physiotherapy. And the diet, as I mentioned, or or play or just interacting and training together. And balancing the emotional system, uh, giving supplements that help the dog handle stress in a better way. And then we want to like you were into desensitization before. We want to do that a little, little bit and counter condition to triggers before we actually teach the dog to handle these emotions differently when they are treated. And for a lot of dogs, I find that are really scared of, of people or, or other dogs, for instance. Um, and this doesn't apply to sounds in the same way. But what they need is for someone in their pack to actually protect them because they are generally scared. Uh, it's it's uh, So if we just try to make them focus on something else, we might belittle their feelings. So instead, standing in front of them, showing I I'll guard you, I'll help you. And when we trigger train, me and my dog, we can walk towards like a, an owner and a dog where their dog is, is sat behind them. They're like the guardians. And when the owner puts their hand up and says, no, thank you, go away, I'll run off with my dog as if I got really scared. And this teaches the dog behind his or her owner that, wow, my human can actually protect me. I do not need to protect myself. And they feel more secure. So I really like, like to get that aspect like what is the dog's actual feelings and how do we respect those feelings and give them the security that they want yeah well that's trust isn't it it's yeah. trust and it's Absolutely. how you engage your dog to win that trust because trust has to be earned you know yeah. so and you can't just expect your dog to trust you because you feed them you know no. there's a lot more to it than that and I think that I agree with you completely and I think you see that's the problem and I think you know an awareness of that but yes you know I'm totally on the page with with yeah. diet and nutrition you know let's not start that conversation we'll save that <laughs> conversation for another one but um absolutely you know the, and the science concurs on that you know you feed humans with packets of sugar <laughs> and you feed dogs with packets of starches and mm. you get hyperactivity you get mood crashes you get a lack of focus we know again so it's interesting to compare your study on the PTSD and saying there about children that lose their imagination that's so mm. sad but it's similar you know 
these studies do indicate in humans the, the relationship between a poor diet really and you know wellness and behavior and the same goes goes for dogs although and there is loads more science now but it's recent you know it's all very recent sort of circa well 2005 the 2000s that people really began looking at what dogs perhaps really should eat you know again and looking back to the past and how dogs um digestive systems work but mm. yes that's another big conversation to tackle which I look forward to doing again no Caroline gosh so I really love all this and I love your holistic approach because it is so important to have mm. this to get the best out of your dog so mm. thank you so much so we're going to regroup very soon and talk about Petley so just if people want to just google this now what's the best place to google Petley uh, our website is petly.app, but in the Google Play or App Store, you can just download the app and, and uh, create an account and just check it out and see what it's all about. And uh, you can enjoy the community. We have like a social media community where we actually have dog expert answering all your questions, like validated, reliable advice so you can get there. And then you can jump on a subscription to, to reach all the content that's, that's created by dog experts from, from Sweden. Yeah, no, fantastic. Well, that's, you know, I think it's so interesting as well that it's all Swedish. So, yes, I do love Scandinavia. So next time, maybe we'll do the podcast in Swedish. I am joking. <laughs> if only my Swedish was that that good. I Every year I go, I've got to do Duolingo. I've got to bring it back. It was my first language. Mm. I, have, I have tapes of me speaking English and I sound really Swedish. Cool. It, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> cool. I know. So I went to nursery school in um, Stockholm. Yeah. 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 I know. It is interesting. I love different cultures, especially where dogs are concerned. So really can't wait for you to come back. Thank you so much for your time, Caroline. Thank you for having me. It was great fun. That's our show, Mr. Binks. What did you think? Yes, I know. The interrelationship of episodic memory and PTSD in dogs is something we all really need to think about. And you're right, it is time for Woof of the Week. <coughs> Never underestimate how trauma and negativity can impact on your dog's mental well-being. <coughs> well, I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, go on, rate and review the show wherever you tune into your podcast. It makes such a difference. Thanks again, of course, to Carolina Lupo for joining us today. And all the links are, of course, in the show notes. Thanks, of course, to Mike Hansen, my producer, for all the music and production as ever. And find out more about his firm at Pod People UK. And to find out more about me and what I'm up to, I'm at Anna Webb Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Gosh, yes, you're right, you're right. We will be back in your feed next Sunday. So make this the moment to subscribe because it's free and that way you'll never miss another show. Bye for now. Bye.